I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee with Coaches, presented by a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get to today's guest, I wanted to thank our sponsors over at Dr. Dish Basketball. Uh, our program here at Bob Jones University just recently purchased a, a CT model. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, the, the built-in workouts, the customizable shooting drills, and the ability to get immediate statistics back. It, it's just amazing what all it can do. And so right now, if you mention Quick Timeout, you'll receive $300 off on select models. So head over to drdishbasketball.com to find out more about your next shooting machine. He's in his first year as an assistant coach at Grand Canyon University and coming off a morning practice session. Mm-hmm. He's Coach Ed Schilling. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I wanted to ask you about practice since you guys have been back. Uh, I saw on the website we were talking beforehand, I got a nice picture of you with your mask on and your face shield on. Uh, how have the health precautions either changed what you do or maybe even prevented you from doing things that you would typically be doing? Well, we kind of started when we first got here, um, we eventually got into the individual workouts or getting ready to, and they, we tested and we had just about everybody on the team tested positive. Almost all of them were asymptomatic. There weren't really any symptoms on any of them. So because of that, we had the long uh, uh, quarantine. So we probably had, we had the entire team in quarantine. And so I think they were, they were bouncing off the walls at the time because they weren't even a... We have a, a hotel on campus, which is pretty nice. But at the same time, they were stuck in their room. So the room, the food would be brought up to them. And uh, so anyway, we, we had that. And so because of that, there was they, we would just do antibody tests for a while uh, through the rest of the summer and things like that. So we were able to kind of be pretty uh, – we're able to do really uh, good workouts through the summer let them go home for a few weeks. They came back and they tested. So everybody was negative, including the staff. Uh, we have to test every seven days and the players are getting their temperature check every day. They're having to get tested, all that stuff. Um, so probably the biggest adjustment now is that we have to like coach in a suit of armor, I think like a scuba scuba gear, but, uh, actually we've got it to the point where we can do a mask and then we've got these, uh, uh, glasses that are kind of fog-free glasses. So that was a lot better. We had to do the face shield at the beginning, and that was sure hard to to coach in. It's very difficult for them to hear you. Uh, you know, so you found yourself screaming and yelling, but they couldn't really hear you very well. So other than other than some real raspy voices, uh, you know, we we kind of have come through it pretty well so far, and we just hope and pray that uh, we can continue to to test negative uh, through this season. Do you feel like the players are behind where they should be because of the changes or are things kind of progressing as usual? Well, you know, because it's our first year here, we're naturally behind where, you know, where we would kind of typically be. But since we've started practice, we've kind of uh, um, once we started practice, the guys have picked things up pretty well and things like that. So I think once we actually have gotten started, we're good. And we kind of have the the growing pains of, of year one where everything you do is new. And so because of that, we feel like we're way behind. But at the same time, the players have been excellent in terms of 
retaining what we're teaching and trying to implement it and been super coachable. So we hope that that continues and we can kind of catch up from the year one perspective, but then also not having the full summer to do the training and to teach the basic drills and stuff like that. So that's probably where we've been behind. And so trying to catch up from that, and especially in year one, has been challenging. I'm interested to hear from somebody at the Division One level just announced games starting potentially for the 25th. I don't know when you guys are, are first scheduled mm-hmm. to play, but you have no exhibition games up to that. Um, people probably are thinking, man, that's still two months. and That's that's no big deal. They shouldn't have any problem with that. I mean, you even said it. It comes a point in time when you're practicing against each other constantly day after day after day where it's just good to get and play somebody else you're not able to do that and especially for you all with as a brand new staff how what's the plan i mean how, how do you how do you prepare is there is there anything that you can do to be prepared for that first game well we just kind of talked about every day matters because at any time you get one person test positive and all of a sudden everything shut down for x number of days and so you know, we're trying to get in as much as we can, understanding that one positive test and the breaks, the emergency break is is ripped on and everybody stops for three days, five days, who knows how long. And so you have that in the back of your mind that you've got to get things in. And uh, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're talking about with the players that every day is, is important because we're not going to get a chance to go against anybody else and see how we are. So we have to challenge each other with our effort, with our intensity, and then also with our, our retention of what's being taught that more than ever, there's a sense of urgency because you don't know if you're going to get shut down. And two, you're not going to get a chance to test it on somebody else. So it's, it's, it's on, so to speak, and every day matters. Coach Schilling has been known for developing relationships, not just with the basketball player, but also being somebody who invests in the people. And I'm interested, are you able to do that differently or better now that you're maybe restricted to more um, one-on-one or personal interactions rather than spending time with a group? Yeah. I mean, we haven't had like our team meeting. Uh, We, we, uh, our, our initial team meeting, we did it at a, at the softball stadium here where we could spread out, <laughs> you know, so there's been some differences, even our staff meetings. We don't meet as a staff. We have a zoom call and we're in the, we're in our offices. So it, it's different. It's not like your traditional, uh, you know, like you normally do. You're all in the, in the coaches, you know, coaches area or war room where you're X and an Owen and you're going through stuff. It, it's more, you know, you're, you're kind of meeting at zoom. You're sending, you know, you're sending text messages or emails like, hey, here's some suggestions or here's this, here's that. You know, so it's uh, it, it's different. It really is. And uh, but from with respect to the players, it's yeah, you're, you're not sitting them down where, you know, you're kind of being able to give your kind of pearls of whatever before practice as you're standing in a big circle in the gym. Um, as opposed to sitting in uh, kind of a, 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 a close proximity and let's say a film room or, or the player's lounge, you're, you're spread out on the court. So there's a little bit of that, that you don't get like that intimacy that you might have as everybody's sitting in the locker room. 
Hmm. Kind of moving to on court and the player development side of things. Our audience tends to skew a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. They may not know your history. I mean, coach has been Mm -hmm. at Memphis and um, Indiana and UCLA with the teams that went to the sweet 16s. And uh, so you've, you've trained a lot of players that have gone on and played at the next level. If I were to have come to a player development session for you, when you first started back in the nineties, Mm-hmm. versus coming to something right now there at Grand Canyon University. What has changed and what has stayed the same? Well, you know, my my focus, and I, and I took, uh, after being a high school coach, coaching at UMass in the Final Four, coaching on the bench with the Nets, um, being a head Division One coach, and then being at Memphis, I went and had seven years where I did player development exclusively, got guys ready for the draft, but then also had a not-for-profit where we trained young kids, amateurs, college on down. And I think the one thing that stayed the same from, let's say, those seven years, and even when I was a high school coach, is I always start and I warm them up, for example, with ball handling. And my, my feeling is the better a player handles the basketball, the more confident they're going to be as a player. So whether it was a Greg Oden or a Uh, Cody Zeller or I'm just you know many of these seven footers that I trained we still warmed up with two ball ball handling and we did ball handling drills the chill drill if you will Um, so we we always so that has always been the same I think the difference is there's more in my the toolbox so to speak that like hey I've got a player that wants to work on coming off screens or I have a player that wants to work off ball screens well there's just more drills that I have to be able to teach the same concepts. I think that's probably the biggest thing from when I was a 22 year old head coach in the state of Indiana to high school um, is that I just have more things to choose from. So whatever the deficiency is or whatever the point of emphasis that we want to work on, on a, from a skill development standpoint, there's just a lot more to choose from now at 54 years old as there was at 22 years old. Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program, as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games, with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist. That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more. Have you seen things change or have things changed in your training as far as the idea of positionless basketball? Yeah, I think so. I think it even it becomes even more so that everybody has to be able to handle the basketball. And the day of, hey, you're a post player, so we're just working post moves. Those That's not the case anymore. I mean, everybody has to be able to handle the basketball. Everybody has to be able to uh, pass and move and things like that. It, it's uh, it, it's not as specialized as it maybe once was when I first started. Where hey, a five man, you go to the block. You've got you've got your center. You got your now it's uh, you know your five man's uh, 
maybe seven foot, but he's still got to be able to back screen and step out, or he's got to be able to go pick and pop and shoot jump, you know, so there, there's definitely changes with that. And I think what it is, it, it becomes more of, you have to have more skill to play these days, which is, uh, you know, kind of right up my, what I like to teach. So it, that that's worked out well in that way, but everybody has to kind of be able to do a little bit of everything. Along those lines, as the game has changed, finishing and shooting, the two things that really emphasize skill-wise, you know, we can talk about decision-making as well, but, you know, focusing in on the finishing and the shooting. Let me start with finishing. How do you teach it and how do you drill it? Well, I I kind of often tell this story, like, I could, while I was doing that pro training in, in Indianapolis for those seven years, I also coached a high school team kind of for fun. And so I had uh, Park Tudor High School and had Yogi Farrell was one of our players, uh, you know, sophomore, junior and senior year. And, and my first year, I, I kind of did a kind of a test, you know, because I didn't necessarily care about uh, wins and losses. I just cared about trying to make the players better. And they talked me into taking the job like in late August. So, uh, and I didn't teach or didn't, I still just ran my academy. I just went there and coached the team. And it was a private school of about 100, uh, 400 students, but we played in Indianapolis against the biggest schools, 4,000 students. So I just kind of said, you know what? I'm going to spend the first hour of every practice and just do skill development. We're going to shoot and, and be able to handle pressure. That was the, that was an hour every single day. And so we started off and we, we shot the ball and we shot the ball and we handled pressure. But then after about uh, seven or eight games, I got so frustrated because we kept missing layups. And then I said, you know what? That's on me because I'm not doing anything to help our, our, our players shooting the layups make layups. You know, whether it's our, our big guys and big was a relative term, our, our front court players make shots. And so I devised, I had our shooting routine that we would do, black and red shooting. There was two different routines and we would, it was all measurable and we'd write, you know, have the scores and post them. But then I put together a finishing routine, everything from mic and drills uh, of 30 seconds a bop to, you know, throwing it off the backboard, a whole series of finishes that way where it's keep the ball above your head or two fakes and score, a fake pivot, reverse it under the rim. Uh, you know, all those different things, post moves where drop step middle, fake, all those things. So we put together a finishing routine. So we basically had a powering routine that that the perimeter players are doing. And same thing with our inside players, finishing routine. Sometimes I throw the guards in with the finishing and sometimes the bigs with the shooting. But generally speaking, we had a whole routine that we did and we marked it. It was measurable. And you're not going to believe it, but we actually started making layups once we started practicing, as they spent 30 minutes every single day finishing the basketball uh, and hopefully at a game speed. And that was measurable that we could tell them, hey, you're making this many or, you know, then all of a sudden we began to make shots and make f- and, and finish layups. So uh, I think that was the first thing. And, and really, uh, when you make a point of doing it, that's when we started finishing. <laughs> Do you have a preference or opinions on one foot finishing versus two foot finishing? Well, I, I think there's time for both. I mean, I, I, a very simple uh, way to teach it, at least I do with perimeter players, is if the if the defender is behind you, you can go off one foot. If the if the defender is beside you, you need to go off two feet so that you're able to absorb and score, absorb contact and score. 
if the player's in front of you, well, that's a time to shoot a pull-up jump shot or maybe pass it. But uh, so that's a general rule. Behind you, one foot. Beside you, two feet. I've noticed, especially watching the game's NBA level, it's college a little bit too, but the floater seems to be coming back maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel, you know, at one point, I you see a lot of players that the the floater doesn't become a shot. It just becomes kind of like a toss to the basket, which I don't right. feel like is a real floater. If you watch those NBA teams, do you teach that? And then how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that the floater is a, a, a shot for today, you know, just like the Euro step, just like some of those, if you're in the lane, um, but it's like anything else, shooting a floater without practicing it is not a good shot. If you don't practice shooting it, and so I'll do kind of a figure eight drill where I set a cone at each block, and then you go one way, you come around it, and they got to catch and shoot the floater, and then they go figure eight around the other cone on the other block and shoot a floater. Then you move the cones up the floor, and you do that. That that we're really working on. How do you teach it? You know, is it a one foot or a two foot floater? But the idea of getting the ball to your to your beside your neck and releasing it early with your fingers high so that it, you get a soft touch. And the idea of why are you shooting the floater? You're shooting the floater because you're trying to get the ball up and over a shot blocker. So if, if you're shooting it, then you got to make sure that it's a quick release, that you're getting it up, that you're, that you're releasing it, and it's getting high before the shot blocker can get to it. So, you know, it, it comes down to, one, why are you shooting it? How are you shooting it? And then third and most important, are you practicing it in a game situation? And so then taking it from like just basic, like a basic, basic breakdown drill of the basic breakdown drill, that figure eight that I shared. Um, But then going from there is, okay, now we're going to work. We're going ball screen, get in the lane floater, or we're snaking it into a floater. So now are you implementing it at a, at a game a game type speed in a practice setting? And then you're able to shoot it in the game. But if you don't do the other things and you just think, oh, I'm going to shoot a floater in a game without practicing it, obviously that doesn't make much sense. So whether it's a floater or the finishing, you talked about reading those situations. Do you incorporate the decision making into small sided games or, or how do you how do you teach them that that component of it? Well, I, I think one decision making is such a as much as you can simulate a game situation, the better. So can you do that uh, depending on what your practice group is? It may just be one person. So if it's a one person workout, then how do I do that as a coach to simulate a game situation? You know, whether it's okay, I raise my hand, you got to make the pass. If I don't, you're shooting the floater. Or if it's, you know, here, here's the here's the drill. We're gonna do a multi-drill thing that it's it's a floater here. It's, it's a, you know, and you do multiple things in the same drill, but I think you've got to try to simulate game situations and, and you have to be creative and uh, thinking of, okay, how can I make this game applicable? Just because it's a drill, a good drill doesn't mean it's game applicable for a certain player. I think the best drills are ones that, that come that they're going to see in what their team runs. So if I can understand what the team's run, what Coach Drew wants or Coach Alford, Alford wanted at, at UCLA, now I can devise the drill like, okay, in this action, here's where you're getting your shot. Here's the read. It's one, it's two, it's three. I'm going pick and roll. I, I get by. I get my man gets picked on the screen. Now, what am I reading? I'm reading 
what is the next level of defense doing? Are they, can I get to the rim? If they stop me, where are my, where are my outlets going to be? So being able to try and set those up, explain it to them. And then it's drill. It's drilled. Now we're, we're simulating, you get in and they, the, the big drops off. I shoot the pull up. All right. Now the big goes out or the, the help person stunts and goes back. So now what am I doing? And now you give them reps at each and hope that come game time, they're able to execute those certain things. That's good. Let me move over now to the shooting, maybe some similar answers to what you just gave me, but um, are you practicing that with all of your players and does that look the same for all of them or are they taking, you know, are the bigger players playing shooting more in the post or are you shooting mid range shots? What, what does that look like? Well, I think it's a, it's a variety. And I, and I also think it's time of the year, you know, like when I did that, uh, the shooting and finishing um, part of the, the, the red and black shooting, uh, the black shooting, it Im- implemented a shot fake one dribble floater, you know, whereas red was a one dribble pull up. And so we really tried to teach, you know, part of our drill, we would do four spots of 30 seconds with the shot fake floater. Whereas in red shooting, it was a, it was a rip one dribble pull up, you know, so we wanted to, imp- yeah, we wanted to work on that. And, um, but I also think, uh, you know, you, you're going to have some like at, at GCU we're we're doing all the players are shooting, you know, even the bigs are shooting. Now they may take a step in um, instead of shooting the three, it might be like, Hey, you're seven foot two seventy. You don't have to shoot the three though. They want to um, you shoot from 17 feet or 15 feet uh, instead. I, I know at UCLA, Thomas wall, Welsh was a great shooter. I mean, he was as, as good a shooter as in, in the country at 17 feet. Well, that's all he shot. The next year we moved him back a little bit and moved him back. By the senior year, he was able to, to shoot a great percentage from three, but it wasn't day one of his freshman year. It was a progression of moving him back. I would guess that has to do with kind of you explaining to them what their role is as well. Right. It is. And, and, you know, I, I don't know that players necessarily like having a role. You know, they want to be basketball players. You know, I, I think back to when I was at UMass, we had a player by the name of Marcus Camby. And Coach Cal and his recruitment of him said, you know, you know, Marcus said, hey, I, I want to be a three man. And, you know, he's seven foot. And Coach Cal said, absolutely, you'll be a three man for us. But I will tell you this, we post up our three men a lot. <laughs> you know, so you, you got to have uh, you, you, you got to be careful with how you define the roles. But at the same time, you want what's best for them and best for your team. I would guess that just like the finishing, you did something measurable with your shooting. Do you guys keep track of that? And also, do you do any kind of green light shooting so that guys, you know, these are your shooters, these aren't, or do you want them to kind of avoid that mentality? And if they can shoot, they shoot. Well, yeah. I I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of different things. I mean, like even when I was doing my training, uh, we used to do a thing called Olympic shooting where we would give it as about a 20 minute shooting drill. And we would say, Hey, if you're in, if you're over this amount, then you're you're a green light shooter. You can shoot at any time, regardless. The other teams scored three baskets in a row. You can still shoot it. If you're in this range, you can't shoot it. You got to go to the basket if there's, uh, you know, if the other team scored two baskets or three baskets in a row. And then there's others, you know, that that you've probably coached that are, you know, you shoot it if it's a dunk or closer. You know, so, you know, I, I do think there's some of that. We don't necessarily have that, but I think it, it comes in. Of, hey, stop. Is that a good shot for you? Mm-hmm. Probably not. We, you can do better. 
you know, you're a good enough player to get to the basket. You can't settle. Yeah. Uh, can you maybe describe for us one or two of your favorite shooting drills? You've already talked about the black and the red, but maybe something to do at the at the end of a mm-hmm. practice or something competitive or fun that the right. team can do, anything like that. Well, one of the drills I used to finish with at Champions Academy, we called it champion shooting because we're so creative. But um, we, we would say, and it was the last drill we do, one basketball, one rebounder, one shooter. And the shooter, he'd have to make three threes. He'd start the clock on the first, you know, ready, go. He had to make three threes. They did not have to be in a row. Then a one dribble pull up right, one dribble pull up left, one, dri- one dribble layup right hand, one dribble left hand that's from the corner and you do that from the five from five spots so you're going corner wing top wing corner every time you have to get behind the three-point line at that spot so you're making seven shots five spots and what's your time and i basically like the record time is 128 but a good time for a division one guard should be under three minutes Mm -hmm. now they're probably not going to get it the first time but they should get to that. And if they're not over five minutes, if, if it's over five minutes, then that that's, that's not good at all. Like we will stop the drill or whatever. Um, you know, and it can be frustrating because it's the end of a workout. I know a guy named Carl Landry. I don't know if you remember, but a great guy would uh, did his pre-draft with me. And then when come back every summer, he would do his, his uh, you know, he'd get ready for training camp. And uh, so we'd all, we'd finish with that. And, he was so frustrated uh, one day because he just his time was bad that out after the last layup he went in and dunked it and he shattered my backboard. So oh. that cost me a thousand dollars that day. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't a good finish to my day. But uh, anyway, that champion shooting is is always a really good barometer for me of how well somebody shoots it. If they're consistently under three minutes, then you know what they they're a pretty good shooter. So I'm gonna bring this full circle. You mentioned that you're at a new place. You've got new players. You're trying to train them for a season that's not very normal. What are your three goals at that new job with those new players? We've got to get these one, two, or three things out of these guys for us to be ready for this season. Well, I think the first and foremost, you, you've got to be able to take care of the basketball. You know, the, the most simple things aren't so simple, like passing and catching. You know, I, I just made a – a point uh, to today, you know, you want to pass to the hand away from the defense unless you're passing to someone for a shot that he's open. The passer is the eyes of the receiver. Can you handle the basketball without turning it over? I think that's the first thing. So often uh, players will do a lot of workouts and it's not necessarily game speed. And eh, if I turn it over, no big deal. If I kick it in the stands, not a big deal. So I think the first thing is being able to handle the basketball. The other thing is being able to uh, play through the influence of fatigue. If you can't, as soon as you get tired, it's amazing what happens to your shooting form, what happens to your defense. You come out of your stance. You don't sprint to help. You don't close out with high hands, you know, whatever your your points are. But being able to create the habits to be able to play through the influence of fatigue is probably the the second thing. And the last thing I, I think is, um, what, what's your attitude? You know, I think at the end of the day, as I'm coaching, I want to coach use basketball to try to help these players become the best men that they can be. If I'm not teaching life skills, then I probably should, at least in my mind, do something else. 
And I know it's a, it, it, in this business, you, you've got to win. But at this, at the end of the day, for me, it, it's not a win to me. We can go to the final four. We can go to the sweet 16. You can do whatever. But if I'm not helping them become better men uh, for having played for me or having me coach them, then to me, I feel like it's a losing season. So that's the, that's the thing for me. Am I helping them become better men? That's awesome. Before I let you go, I asked this with our veteran coaches. It can be related to player development or just coaching in general. But if you had the chance to go back and tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, don't lose sight of why you do what you do. Understand what's your why. Why did you get into coaching? And don't deviate from that. And you get into coaching because you love to help that you love to see that light bulb come in come on for a certain player to help them be able to to do more than you ever than they ever thought they could do and i think uh, sometimes you can you can lose that in the in the trying to keep your job or you know you're you're trying to recruit a player or you maybe you more than anything i would say stay true to why you got into this business and for me that's to try to make a difference in people's lives using the vehicle of basketball to do it that's great. That's Coach Ed Schilling, assistant coach at Grand Canyon University. Coach, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.